West Park. You can open back to Matthew chapter 5. Let me just also start this morning by apologizing for my voice. We moved back here to East Tennessee three years ago now, and I'm just accepting it that September, October, I'm not going to be able to talk, so it's okay. Allergies are getting me. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, uh, the verses that, that the Whigs read for us earlier. And I want to start this morning by allowing you to use your imagination a little bit, okay? So I want you to, to think about this. Let's picture that it's Monday morning and you are leaving for work. Your work starts at 9. It takes you about 15 minutes to get to your office and you're leaving at 8.50. So you're not going to speed, right? You would never do that, like, of course, but you're focused, Okay, like picture that. You're, you're focused. You know where you need to go. You're making moves. You're finding opportunities, right? You're trying to get to, to the office and make up those five minutes. And then let's picture that up ahead of you, you see a car come to a stop sign and is looking for an opportunity to turn in. And you know that they see you. They, they have to see you, right? There's no way that they would ever try to turn in front of you but they do. <laughs> they turn out, they turn in front of you, you slam on your brakes, and not only that, they turn in front of you, and then they go 10 miles per hour below the speed limit <laughs> for miles down the road. So let me ask, what emotion wells up in you in that moment? Probably anger, right? Like you get, you get angry at that person. Now here's the interesting thing, we all get angry, but we actually respond in anger differently. Some of us respond like rhinos. You know what a rhino does when they get angry? They get aggressive. Right? They, they go for it. So here's how you know this is you. If you're a rhino when you, get, when you get angry, that person pulls out in front of you, and here's what you say. Get off your cell phone! Right, anyone? Okay. Get off your, what are you doing? Call them a name, whatever it may be. Some of us aren't like that at all, actually, you know? The rhino, they lay on their horn to make sure the person knows that they, you know, that they got pulled out in front of. The, the, there's this other group of people, and, and I'm one of them. I've never blown my horn in my life. I don't even know what it sounds like, but I still get angry. I would say this, I, I'm, a, I'm a porcupine when I get angry. A porcupine is not only aggressive, they're also passive, right? So a porcupine, they, they hide their face and they, they point out their quills, so they're passive, aggressive, right? Here's how you know this is you. You're driving, someone pulls out in front of you, you don't hit the, the horn, you say this. Uh, hello? Right? Like anyone? Uh, hi, I'm here, right? This is, I just have this like argument with the person, like, hello, I'm here. You see this, okay? We both respond with anger, though it looks a little bit differently depending on who you are. But here's the thing, as we talk about anger, it's something that we all experience. It's emotion, an emotion that, that is a, it's something for all of us that we all know about. It's important also, I need, I need to say this, um, when we talk about anger, we need to remember that anger isn't always bad, okay? It isn't completely always a horrible emotion to respond with. There is such a thing as righteous anger, right? So, for instance, if one of your young kids is being um, hurt, by someone, the proper emotion to respond with would be anger, 
because of your love for them, because of your job to protect them, it would be right in that moment to respond in anger. When we see injustice, we should respond with anger. That, that is good and that is right. Jesus models that for us a few times throughout the Gospels, this righteous kind of anger. But here's what I want to point out this morning. Um, I think if we're honest, and maybe I'm totally off here, but I think if we're honest, a lot of times we blame our anger on righteous anger when that's not actually true. (laughs) Will anyone admit that? We're very quick when we're a jerk to point out that Jesus cleansed the temple (laughs) when really it's not righteous anger at all. We're not being Christ-like at all. We're just being jerks, okay? So what I want to show you this morning is Jesus, as he's talking about anger here, is actually talking about an anger that I know that we all experience that, was actually, that is actually unbelievably destructive, both unbelievably destructive to our own soul and also destructive to the people around us. Anger splatters, right? It doesn't just hurt us. It hurts the people who are around us. Let me also, before we jump into the passage, let me just say something that I have learned this week as I've been diving into this passage. Um, If I had been asked to teach this five years ago, ten years ago, I don't think I would have been able to relate at all, honestly. I don't, like, when I look back, and I'm speaking generally here, but when I I speak for myself, when I look back at myself as as a younger Christian, as a younger man, anger was just not a problem for me. Um, It was not something that that I struggled with. But as I'm getting older, I'm seeing that anger is becoming a very real enemy. And I think this is true for a lot of people. The older we get, anger becomes the enemy for us in our attempt to follow Jesus. You know, this is my theory. I don't know if this is true, but this is my theory. That when we're young, we have all of these hopes and these dreams, and all this energy, and we never actually stop long enough to even get angry about anything. But as we age, some of those dreams that we had don't come to fruition. Or maybe they do come to fruition, and they're not everything that we imagined them to be. And people hurt us, and we have wounds. And the older we get, it seems like those wounds come more to the surface. And we get angry, right? We get angry at other people. We get angry at ourselves, right? And if we're honest, I think we probably get angry with God sometimes too, because our life doesn't turn out the way that we think it should have. And so I'm just speak, I'll speak for myself here. As I grow in my sanctification, praise God, I see sins of my youth that I'm getting victory over. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. But I also see that there's a new enemy, and it's anger. Right? This, this has just felt so relevant this week as these wounds come to the surface. And so I just say that to say, I know I need this teaching. Maybe you do too. Right? There's some anger inside of you that needs to be dealt with. And thankfully, Jesus is going to teach us how. So look at the, look at the beginning here of this passage. Okay? Just verses 21 and 22, just the first two verses here. Here's what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool 
will be liable to the hell of fire. So let me start by pointing out that Jesus uses one expression six times in the Sermon on the Mount. It goes like this, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Now, now think back to last week. Jesus made it clear that he is not going against Scripture, right? Remember this. He is not critiquing the Old Testament. He, he's, he's, not, he's not critiquing it. He says he's actually come to fulfill it. If Jesus was critiquing Scripture, he would have said, it is written, but I say to you. But what does he say? You have heard it said, but I say to you. So who's he critiquing? The teachers, the, the people who are interpreting the law. That is what Jesus is critiquing here. And so here's what we know about the religious leaders. They were very careful to keep the law. We know that, right? They were meticulous about keeping the law. But Jesus says here that they actually missed it. And he's going to show six times in the Sermon on the Mount where they missed it. And the reason they missed it was because they followed the letter of the law, but they totally missed the spirit of the law. That's what Jesus is saying here. They followed the letter, they totally missed the spirit. Here's an example of what that looks like. Let's say that you are um, going on a walk, and there's this big grassy area that you want to cut across, because it's quicker, and you need to get where you're going. And so there's a big grassy area, you're going to cut across it, but right before you step on the grass, you see this sign. And it says, please do not walk on the grass. So you're in a predicament. What do I do? I could go all the way around it, or, so here's your idea, you skip across the grass, right? So just, you know, you're smiling your face, haven't skipped since you were a kid, but you skip all the way across the grass, you get to the other side, you didn't break any rules, everything's good, right? Like everything's good, you followed the law to the letter. <laughs> you did not walk on the, glass, on the grass. What just happened? You followed the letter of the law, but you totally missed the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is don't harm the grass. Hey, stay off of it because we don't want to harm the grass. So Jesus is saying, it's good that you don't murder. If you've not murdered someone, great. That, that's awesome. You're following the law. But that's not the litmus test of life in the kingdom. The actual call here, the spirit of the law, is to love people and not to harm them. You see this? That's what Jesus is calling us to, to love people and not to harm, him, to harm them. So Jesus says this, takes it up a notch. He says, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Not just someone who murders his brother. Everyone who is angry with him. So what's Jesus talking about here? Anger. Okay, what, what, is, he, what is he saying? Everyone who is angry with his brother, what, what, is, what is in his mind? Well, let's go back to the example I started with, the illustration I started with. So let's say you're, you're driving in your car. Picture that. Okay, driving in your car, trying to get to work, you get cut off, and that anger rises up within you. In that moment, you have two options. Okay? One option is you can wave it off. Okay? The anger comes up within you, you honk your horn, whatever you do, but then you get over it, you wave it off, you move on with your day, and you don't think about it again. That's actually not what Jesus is talking about here, that kind of anger. There's a, there's a different Greek word for that. 
Jesus could have used, he doesn't use that. Here's the anger he's talking about. It's the anger where that spontaneous feeling comes up, and then you just sit with it, and you chew on it, and you nurse it. You see what I'm saying, right? You indulge in it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. An anger that we indulge in. An anger where we hit the rewind button and we think about it over and over and over again. You see the difference? We can't really control when the spontaneous anger comes up. But we can control what we do with it. Do we think about it or do we wave it off? Do we indulge in it? Now, here's a question. Why would we indulge in anger? <laughs> like, I get indulging in pizza, indulging in chocolate. Why anger? Why, why in the world? And here's the thing. We probably all know this. In a really weird, twisted way, it kind of feels good to indulge in anger, doesn't it? It kind of feels good. Because when you start playing that over and over again in your mind, thinking about what that person did to you. You're basically murdering them in your head, aren't you? Not lit, maybe you're not picturing that, but you're, you're writing them off. You see what I'm talking about? You're writing them off, and here's what you're doing. You're playing that over and over again in your head, and what you're telling yourself is, I would never do that. So as you put them down, what are you doing to yourself? You're lifting yourself up. You're thinking about this, and you're becoming more and more and more self-righteous. You're the victim. They're the enemy. And you start praying that prayer that the Pharisee prays in Jesus' parable. Thank you, God, that I'm not them. Right? Because I would never do what they did to me. And this tells us why anger is so important. Because it doesn't just stay anger. You know this? As you start rewinding that in your head. As you start thinking about what they did to you, you know what happens? Anger begins to morph. And it actually morphs into something even more destructive. That anger morphs into contempt. That's even worse. That's even worse. You know why? Because what is anger? Anger is something I feel to someone who is my, my equal. Right? I'm mad at someone who is my equal. But if I start falling into contempt, that's towards someone that I see as lesser than me. Right? So it doesn't just stay, I'm angry at you. It says, I'm angry at you, but you're not even really worth my time. Right? You're a nobody. You see how this happens. We turn it over in our head until anger becomes contempt. That's Jesus' point. Look at verse 22. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So here's what we need to see here. Jesus actually uses two specific terms here that don't really come through in our translation. So first of all, our translation says, whoever insults his brother, but Jesus actually uses an Aramaic word, raka. Okay? Whoever says raka to his brother. And then you fool is the Greek word mora, which is one you know. It's where we get our word moron. So Jesus is saying, whoever says raka to their brother and whoever says mora to their brother. And what these terms both do is they communicate contempt. Okay? 
To translate it into to our language, we may say something like this. You're an idiot, right? You're, you're disgusting. You're disgusting. You're worthless. Completely worthless. You're not even worth my time. I was watching a, a football game the other day, and you know, sometimes they mic up the players, and you can hear what they're saying, all the trash talk they're doing. Someone comes up, trash talks one of the players. He looks back at him, and it was a, it was a really effective response. He looked at him in the eyes, and he says, I don't even know who you are, right? You feel that, right? That, but that's, the, that's it. It's, it's you're nothing. You're not even worth my time right now. You can actually feel it in that word raka, okay? Think about the sounds you make when you're getting your saliva together to spit on someone who you couldn't care less about, okay? But seriously, this is the sound. See, this is it. It, it comes from that. It's, that. it's so much contempt that I could spit on you and not think twice about it. And why do we use these words? Why do we call people these names? Why do we say this? Because we want them to believe it, don't we? Like, I mean, isn't that it? We, we want them to believe it. We want them to walk away and think that I'm worthless. You know, the old thing that people say, sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never hurt, hurt me. It's a lie, right? And we know it. So why do we use these words at each other? Because we want them to go away and think, I am worthless. I am nothing. I'm an idiot. That's our goal. We're trying to hurt this other person. And look, I, I mean, I, I'll say this. I think we can all see how relevant this is, which by the way, how amazing is it how relevant the Sermon on the Mount is? Even though Jesus is preaching this thousands of years ago. So relevant. But we see how relevant this is just by looking at our culture. Right? I mean, contempt permeates our culture right now. Our politics, our public discourse, contempt is everywhere. We can see that. But let me say this. Contempt is also seeping into churches. It's seeping into the pews. It has destroyed more churches than we can count. Okay. Contempt is a spiritual cancer for churches. So I, just, I have to say this, right? If you're sitting here and you're you know, on our 62nd anniversary and you're worried about West Park's future and you're listing all the things to worry about, I would say that you need to put this at the top of the list. Contempt. Contempt can destroy us. It's the reason, did you notice when we, when we read out our covenant, did you notice what's in there? I will seek reconciliation. Right? Like, there's a reason that's in there. Because contempt will destroy us. It will. And so you see how big of a deal this is, right? You see why Jesus says this kind of contempt makes you liable, he says, to the supreme court and even the fires of hell. You see why he takes it so seriously. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, thankfully, Jesus gives us an answer here. And I want you to see he gives us actually two things to deal with anger and contempt. Jesus gives us a practice and a posture. He gives us a practice and a posture. And so let's start with the practice. With the practice, he calls us back to one of the Beatitudes. Remember those? We talked about those a few weeks ago. Remember when Jesus calls us to be a peacemaker? 
That's what he calls us to here. Be a peacemaker. And he gives us two illustrations to show what this looks like, to be a peacemaker. So look at verse 23 and 24. He says this, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And we read that, and we're like, okay, great, go, go, you know, go be reconciled to your brother. We don't see how extreme this actually is. Okay? When Jesus said this, I bet that the crowd would have chuckled, because he's asking them to do something crazy. Here's what you need to know. Jesus is speaking here to a group of people in Galilee, and there's one altar that they would go to, and it's in Jerusalem. That's 100 miles apart from each other. Okay? So think about that. It's, it's like here to Johnson City. <laughs> and you have to walk. You can't drive or fly or anything like that. So listen to what he's saying. If you have made this 100-mile journey and you are there to worship God and give your gift at the altar, but then you realize that someone back home has something against you, what do you do? You'll leave it there. You go 100 miles back <laughs> You make things right, you make the 100-mile trip again, and then you come to worship God. That's crazy, okay? That's crazy. He said, that's the urgency of what you need to do here. Don't say, I'll get it when I get home. Go take care of it now. And I mean, I think there's some, there's some other implications here. First of all, I think he's trying to show us that actually being angry with other people, being in relational discord with other people affects our worship of him. If you felt cold in worship services lately, if you felt cold in your time with the Lord lately, let me ask, do you have any relationships that need mending? Because that could be the problem, okay? Our relationship with others affects our relationship with God. But I think he also just wants us to see how urgent this is. Don't wait, just go and take care of it. Look, the next illustration is really similar, verse 25 and 26. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going, going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. There's a lot I could talk about there, but I just want you to see the urgency. Come to terms quickly. And doesn't that make sense? When you have relationship problems with someone, does it get better with time? No. If you leave that just to sit, does it get better? No. No. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. You keep hitting that rewind button. You keep ascribing motives to the person that aren't even true. Your anger morphs into contempt. And so Jesus is saying something really wise here. Nip it in the bud, right? Take care of it. Now let me point something else out that's interesting. Look at this. Who does Jesus put the emphasis on here? He tells us to think about the people who have something against us. Here's the thing. I'm really good at thinking about people I have something against. I can give you a list, right? Like, I know who I'm mad at. It's a different thing to think about the people who have something against me. The people that I 
have wronged. I don't like to do that very much. That doesn't make me feel like the good guy, does it? I don't want to do that. But that's who Jesus puts the emphasis on here. Think about who you have wronged. Think about who has something against you and go take care of it. So can I challenge you just just right now? Ask yourself that question. Maybe, Maybe there's some people coming to mind right now that the Holy Spirit is bringing. People that have something against you. Is there anyone? Jesus is inviting us here to ask that question. And let me, let me ask, it's not enough just to think of this person. Will you be a peacemaker? Will you take the steps to try to reconcile? Because that is the most loving thing that you can do. Because when you do that, you are stopping that vicious cycle that is happening in their soul. You see that? That anger that turns into contempt that is so destructive. You, by taking the initiative, are loving them. I was just thinking this week, and I was just so thankful to some friends in my life and so thankful to God for some of the times where he has given me the blessing of people reaching out to reconcile to me with, with me. I thought of all these examples where, where I just was turned, I was, I was not being good, okay? I was rewinding the situation in my mind. I was ascribing motives to the person that weren't even there. Anger was becoming contempt. I can remember a few times where I would just go out and I would go for a run just to try to clear my mind because I was just thinking about this thing that this person did to me. And I would come back and get done with the run and I would be fuming because I'm just rewinding it over and over and over in my head. But there's so many times where I would get this gift from God, a gift of a text message or a phone call asking to meet up or just apologizing or whatever it may be. And I just felt like this weight came off my back. Have you ever been there? This weight that I was carrying just fell off my back. So yeah, that person might have hurt me, but they were loving me so well in this moment. Because I could have carried that around for years, but they wouldn't let me. You see how loving that is? Because they took the initiative. Now, Can I make this even more challenging? Okay. What if someone has something against you and they actually have no right to? Like before God, you did nothing to them. It was a misunderstanding. They're reading into your motives. You have nothing to answer to God for because you did nothing to them. Maybe it's an employee or one of your children who's estranged or a sibling or a fellow church member, what do we do then? Do we just say, ah, forget them. They're dumb, right? Does Jesus give us that? No. What's he say? If anyone has anything against you, go make it right. Go make it right. Now, I don't think he wants us to go own things that we can't actually own. But I bet... There's a kernel of truth in there somewhere, right? There's always a kernel of truth in there somewhere that we actually can own, that we actually can make right, where we can go and we can seek reconciliation. And let me also say this. Here's what you don't do. Don't go and say, 
I'm sorry you feel that way. Because <laughs> that's not really an apology, right? Go to the person and own what you can own. Right? Have the humility to go and just try to make things right. Let me ask one more question here. What if you've been hurt and no one reaches out to you? So I just told my story, I'm out running, I come back, someone reaches out to me, you know, helps my soul in that moment. What if that never comes? What do we do then? Well, you know, Jesus actually answers this too. Some few chapters later, Matthew 18, verse 15, he says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You see that? He puts the initiative on the, on the one who sinned against, too. He just, he just wants reconciliation. I'll say this. I have been so blessed by this as well. Because there have been times where I have hurt someone, genuinely hurt someone. And one of two things happened. Either I really didn't know it, like genuinely before God had no idea that I hurt them. Or I was just disobedient. <laughs> and I didn't want to have an awkward conversation, so I didn't reach out to them. But I, I've been so blessed by people who had the maturity to reach out to me. To reach out to me and reconcile and tell me, you hurt me in this way. And I didn't like hearing that. That's not fun. But they let me know I had hurt them. And we were able to be reconciled for the good of their soul and for the good of my soul. Do you get the emphasis here? Do, do you see what Jesus is calling us to? Don't let this fester. Don't hold on to anger. And it's hard, isn't it? I mean, I can, I can feel the tension in the room of how hard this is because we're all thinking of these relationships that we have. It's hard. What enables us to do this? How can we do this? Well, Jesus gives us not only a practice, he gives us a posture. He gives us the right posture that we need to take. Here's how I'll illustrate this one. So, one of the things that makes me most angry in the world is when someone is late to a meeting with me, right? That makes me so angry. I just see it as a, as a sign of, of disrespect, right? And it just eats away at me. And so I remember there was this one time where I had a meeting planned at 2 p.m. at Starbucks. No one in this room, by the way. I'm not calling anyone out. But I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and it's 205, 2.10, 2.15. Finally, I send the text. I'm like, hey, you coming? Yeah, I'm coming. On my way. 2.25, 2.30, He walks in the Starbucks, okay? And I have a smile on my face. Everything's fine, right? Like, nothing, no problem. I have a smile on my face, but I am going full porcupine, right? Like <laughs> passive, aggressive to the max. And here's what I do. He walks in at 2.40. At 2.45, I say, hey man, I'm so sorry. I only had 45 minutes to meet today. I got to go, okay? Here's the thing. I had nothing on my calendar. <laughs> I literally went out, got in the car, drove to the other Starbucks down the road, and started working there. But I wanted him to know that I was important, right? And you don't do this to me, and I felt so righteous because I would never 
through that. And I went home and I was mad the rest of the day. I, was struggle, I struggled to go to sleep. I was angry at this, this disrespect that I'd experienced. Well, the next morning at 7.15, my alarm goes off. And I lean over, I get my phone, and I have a text message. And it says, are you coming? And I look at my calendar, and I had a meeting at 7 (laughs) a.m. So I get up, I get dressed, I get in the car, I drive to the coffee shop, and I arrive at 7.40. (laughs) 40 minutes late. (laughs) 40 minutes late. And let me just say this, the guy that I was meeting with was amazing. He said, it's okay. He sat there, we talked for an hour and a half. He said, it's fine. He moved on. He loved me. Okay? He blessed me. He didn't even give me a chance to feel bad about it. Do you see my point? I was angry because I felt superior. And it turns out that I'm not superior at all. <laughs> I needed a posture change. And that's what God did. And so when we, we need this, the, how, do we, how do we keep from feeling contempt? How do we keep from getting angry? We need a posture change. Look at this, Matthew 5, 3. This is how Jesus starts out the whole sermon. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? We all want to think we're the good guys. But to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy before God. That's what it is. And I want you to think, and I'll close with this. I want you to think of what the gospel tells us. What does the gospel tell us? First of all, the gospel tells us that I am so bad, so sinful, that Jesus had to come live the life I couldn't live and die on the cross that I deserve. You know that? That's what the gospel tells you. You were made in the image of God to represent him, to exercise dominion, but you blew it. You rebelled against him, and you're so bad that Jesus had to come and take the death that you deserve. Your sin put him on that cross. So think about it. If we we truly believe that, think about what that does to our contempt it leaves no place for it, does it? How can we possibly feel contempt towards someone else when we know that we were dead in our sins if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus, right? How can we possibly feel contempt for someone else? Here, I got to say it. It's one of my favorite quotes, Charles Spurgeon. He says, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Right? Like they don't know the half of it. The person who has something against you doesn't know the half of it. What they could have against you, right? They don't know. So the gospel tells us we are so bad. How could we possibly have contempt for another person? But we can't stop there. Because if we just stop there, then we're just going to get angry at ourselves. And that's actually not helpful either. Here's what the gospel also tells us. Yes, we were so bad that Jesus had to die for us. But we are so loved and adored that he was happy to do it. Right? He was happy to do it. He took 
reconciliation with us so seriously that he was happy to do it. And so think about what kind of people we should be in response to that. Peacemakers. Because Jesus has been reconciled to us. We go out and we reconcile with other people. Do you see that? And we don't have to save face. We can own up to whatever our stuff is. Because we know who we are in Jesus. You see this, right? You see this. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to close by singing one last song just about what Jesus has done for us, about the fact that it is well with our soul. But I want to ask as we sing this, is it truly well with your soul? And what I mean by that is, is there someone that you need to reconcile with? Is there action that you need to take? And I can tell you what Jesus would say to you, don't wait. Don't wait. So I've, I've checked this with Doug. He's going to come up and sing. I just want to tell you, you have full permission to leave at any time and go take care of this, okay? You can grab someone in this room and say, come out and talk with me, please. Take care of it. You can go make a phone call. You can go send a text message. You can go drive to someone's house. I'm telling you, Jesus has made it clear, okay? If there's someone that the Holy Spirit has brought up during this time, I just ask you, take care of it. Don't sit on that, okay? You see this? So let me pray. We're going to respond by singing together. But if there's something you need to take care of today, do it. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for, for reconciliation. I thank you um, for what you did to be reconciled to us. What an amazing God you are. Lord, I... I couldn't help but think this week that um, contempt, anger, it's such a great enemy. It feels like it's in the air we breathe, but I just pray that you would make us different as a church. I pray that when people see this community, they would not see any contempt. And here's the thing, we're all sinners, so we're going to wrong each other. And so you've shown us the way forward. Make things right reconcile. Don't let it go on any longer. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us a spirit of reconciliation in this church. 62nd anniversary, I pray that the next year will just be marked by reconciliation and unity as brothers and sisters. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.